This is Fully Vested, a weekly podcast where Jason Rowley and Graham Peck discuss technology and venture capital investing. This week, we discuss the Q1 2020 Crunchbase Global VC Report and the CB Insights Q1 Money Tree Report. The show was recorded on April 20th. You can learn more at fullyvested.co. Oh, you're in the dark, my friend. <laughs> uh, about so much. Oh, yeah. Where, where, where's your fancy ring light that you uh, bragged about so much in our uh, work from home episode? Do you want me to go get it? It's upstairs. You can go entertain our you can entertain our vast listening audience for a good uh, two two minutes while I go fetch it. No, I, I, I can imagine what your face looks like. Okay, well my uh, my mustache is is continued to grow. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Sorry, listeners, you're you're going to have to deal with the fact that I'm going to be dodging the mic. But see, oh man, yeah, it's really really coming in there. Yeah, I think I got a thicker mustache than you now. You probably do. I don't grow a lot of facial hair there. It's been five weeks since I've shaved, and I already had a you know a small amount of stubble before before trimming it down. So, so mm. the bad news is I'm noticing uh, quite a bit of gray over here. Graham, you're an old man now. I know. I'm turning into an old man fast. Mm. Nothing like a global pandemic uh, to do that for you, huh? Oh, that's right. That's right. You know, my uh, well, I mean, I'm proud of myself. Uh, my, uh, I moved I'm past proud of you too, Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I'm glad man. we do this for fun. Oh, I mean, could you imagine how insufferable we'd be if we had to do this for money? Oh, God, it'd be terrible. <laughs> um, my, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm very excited. This week I, I uh, made it through the, um, you know, like that, like two or three day period, uh, you know, certain folks in our audience might not be able to relate that uh, like two or three day period where, uh, you know, like, like every, like your, like a mustache or other facial hair gets incredibly itchy. Oh yeah, that's bad. And you just have this like enormous urge to just like, without yeah, bias, just, just like shave it all off. Yeah. 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 I made it through. I persevered, Graham. Glad to see you're uh, you're pushing through in these tough times. Uh, well, you know, uh, uh, perseverance is uh, it's the only thing that'll uh, really move the ball forward uh, for uh, for society and, uh, and and mustaches alike. Ah, there you go. Um, so <laughs> how was uh, how was your week, man? Uh pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just living in some sort of like fantasy, uh, fantasy world here, but yeah. I keep kind of thinking to myself that, uh, uh, it's terrible what's going on. And I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, of course, first and foremost, that people are losing their lives and above and yeah. beyond that, uh, that so many people have lost their jobs. Um, you know, it's and, like and 22 think, million people or something like that. Yeah. I think that that's of course really terrible, but. Uh, you know, boy, I feel pretty lucky for, you know, for the circumstances, you know, because we've got phenomenal internet technology and nominally I can do most or all of my job and parts of it have gotten even better and easier, uh, because of this. I mean, I certainly miss seeing my friends and family and, and I miss uh, traveling a lot, but you know, I mean, if, if, you know, for, for the circumstances, I guess I feel pretty dang lucky. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, I've uh, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, at least for the past couple of weeks, uh, or at least the last week, it'll be for the remainder of this week, um, not be stuck in my, um, let's just call it cozy um, apartment in in Chicago's uh, lovely uh, Loop neighborhood. Um, it's don't get me wrong, it's a it's a very nice apartment. I'm I'm very happy to have it. It's a uh, uh it's a one bedroom with an asterisk because it's really a studio with a big sliding door. But anyways, yeah, um, maybe, maybe like a convertible, I think is what yeah, they call those often. Yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever the technical term is. Um but uh you know, 5 weeks of solitary in one of those uh it uh, it uh it's not great. Doesn't do good things for uh, for your emotional state. Um, and uh, so I, I got to come out here. I'm with my sister and her fiance and their dog. Um, and there's there's, against, a, there's a lot more space there too, right? Oh my god! I mean, it's uh, it's it's a house, and then um, <laughs> right, you know. So there's that, and then you know, there's the entire uh, you know, there's the fact that I have peace of mind of being able to like step directly outside and be outside. Like I don't have to go through this like weird dance of like, you know, hitting elevator buttons with my elbow and, you know, hoping that I brought my mask and that my, that everything's like fitting correctly and, and all that good stuff just so I can go out and get my mail. Um, I'm really lucky that I was able, that I'm able to do this uh, and that I have a job that is that doesn't require me to go to an office and moreover uh you know as we kind of sort of touched on last week um and I'm totally willing and able to uh you know unpack it some more today uh you know I'm also in a job where you know kind of um maybe a little bit more indirectly than directly but like indirectly like I'm also able to help contribute to the effort of uh, uh nominally getting through parts of this because it's yeah and, and, yeah and that's really cool i i assume it's okay to kind of go a step further than that and and describe what you're what you mean uh so yeah, yeah so we, in, should, in, we should introduce ourselves and i can go first yeah go go ahead all right hey everybody um my name is jason rally um i'm one of your co-hosts and when i'm not talking to graham on skype uh for recording for your benefit um and our own i guess uh, I do some volunteer work with the Python Software Foundation, helping early stage startups get free booth space at PyCon US, which obviously this year is canceled um, due to the ongoing global pandemic. Um, but I'm trying to find out ways to help those companies out. Uh, more, more on that to come. Uh, but for my day job, uh, such as it is, uh, I am a, a researcher and writer at a company called Golden. Uh, you can find them at golden.com. Uh, I'm pretty easily findable there. I help contribute to a bunch of different, you know, sort of knowledge clusters. Uh, so I help with the Startup Fundamentals cluster. Been adding a lot of information there um, because despite the fact that, you know, all the existential dread aside, there may be no better opportunity to get something started if you find yourself with the time, energy, and resources to... Um, to take that risk for yourself. 
Um, but I'm also doing a lot of research into uh, stuff directly related to the effort against uh, COVID-19. So this past week, I was primarily focused on, uh, or rather last week, I was primarily focused on doing research around uh, companies developing vaccines uh, for SARS-CoV-2, which is the disease, the virus that causes COVID-19. And then this week, um, not, I mean, people can follow my, uh, my account and they can see what I'm working on, but, um, doing a bunch of research around some like, you know, disinfectants and, uh, you know, housing and stuff like that. Um, cause again, all highly relevant to, uh, to the fight. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic team and, and I am going to be the first to say that I'm very lucky to, uh, to be part of it. And so before I dig into my, uh, my intro, um, uh, and you said that there'd be follow-up about this, but do you guys have uh, clarity on what's going to go on with, uh, PyCon? Are you going to offer some sort of, uh, virtualized PyCon yeah. or, yeah, or yeah, did so, you know about that? G- give us yeah, a little so update that's there. It. Yeah, that's actually sort of what we're right in the middle of right now. Um, so the, the Python Software Foundation opted, uh, and PyCon organizers, uh, opted to um, offer as much of the conference programming as possible uh, over the internet. So, you know, all the people who would have given keynotes, maybe not all of them, all of them, but like uh, the vast majority of people who would have given keynotes, majority of people who would have been, uh, you know, giving other sorts of talks, leading, you know, uh, tutorials, all the rest. Uh, that content is still gonna is still finding its way out to the broader community. Um, they're putting a lot of it uh, on on the the YouTube channel. Um, which, for the record, all the stuff that happens at at PyCon for the most part that can be recorded during normal times does get recorded and put up on on YouTube anyways. So even if you can't make it to PyCon in normal times. Um, you can still benefit from a lot of that content. You just obviously miss out on some of the social networking and professional networking and, you know, face-to-face time that you get um, if you were actually there in person. Um, And as far as my part goes, uh, I've been a slight procrastinator. I'm I'm trying to wrangle as many startup row companies as possible to uh, conduct uh, video interviews with them over Zoom. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Like doing like 20-minute chats, you know, just the basic stuff, right? Like, who are you? What are you working on? How'd you get the idea? Like, you know, where are you at in your product development? Are you guys hiring? Is there any way that, you know, people who are watching this can help you out? You know, besides giving feedback and like paying you money (laughs) to use the product, stuff like that. Um, uh, and, And so that's been a... um. It's it's been a bit of a project, and I'm excited to hopefully finish out all those interviews this week, so that we can get those online um, as soon as possible. Because, awesome. um, yeah, I mean it's it's you know making the best of a of a challenging situation. Yeah, I'm really glad to see how many uh, events uh, are are moving to online, and I'm hoping that uh, that it kind of pushes the technology to be. Uh, even better and and even more uh, immersive. 
Well, that was actually uh, not to not to interrupt you or steal your thunder, but um, that was actually a, a fun research task that I completed last week uh, that I didn't really talk about, which is, you know, one of the things that I got to do was in addition to looking at, you know, research on uh, doing research on like vaccine type companies. Uh, I also had uh, done a little bit of looking at companies who are doing uh, stuff in the virtual conference hosting space. So, you know, there's not many of them. It's a new, it's obviously an an emerging industry, but, um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot more attention paid to all that stuff, especially as, you know, some more of the science, you know, emerges, which suggests that, um, that we might be in this sort of social distancing mode for the long haul. I continue to hope that that's not the case, but, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I'm just hoping my optimism doesn't fade. Oh, can I give you more doom and gloom, uh, news, Graham, before you introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Well, you know, so there's a really terrifying paper, um, out from the, uh, the Cleveland clinic that, um, I'm hoping to give a read, uh, maybe probably not tonight. Um, mostly because, uh, uh, I've had a glass of wine. I have a glass of wine right next to me right now. Uh, and uh, as we record, it's almost 8.50 p.m. And I want to go to sleep eventually. Um, but this um, this uh, this paper, you know, takes a look at um, whether or not the uh, having antibodies necessarily correlates to being immune. And the answer is that, you know, the evidence is still very much out. Um, and this is the the terrifying part is that if you look at uh, if if you want to make the assumption, which is still an assumption, mind you, that uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, is if it behaves like a sort of regular seasonal type coronavirus, because, again, coronavirus is a type of virus specifically referring to the shape of the virus. It is not specifically just this one. Um, even though in the, you know, the press and the sort of popular zeitgeist, we just might refer to it just as coronavirus. Anyways, um, seasonal coronaviruses uh, do not tend to produce those antibodies that you get after dealing with the seasonal coronavirus tend not to produce long term immunity. You might be talking about being immune from seasonal coronavirus for only a few months. Um, oh wow! Which, I didn't realize it was that short. I thought at shortest it was uh, maybe uh, a couple of years. Mm. That's the thing that I mean. Obviously, you know, it's anybody's guess at this point. Um, really, I'm, I'm not saying that to to be, you know, to like uh, wash my hands. No pun intended. Um, of you know what my reading or or perhaps more accurately lack thereof of of the broader scientific literature is on this but um it really does seem that you know this is a brand again we've talked about this before it's a brand new virus there's so much stuff that needs to get figured out about it um and uh you know i'm sincerely hoping that it doesn't behave like seasonal coronaviruses because if it does um this is going to be a very, very long and very sad road. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, I, I really, I promise, listeners, I really will get to my uh, my intro any second here. But uh, but yeah, I guess the one thing that I keep thinking about is like, okay, if the if we found a uh, ostensibly a cure today that was yeah. easy and simple to take, I wonder what the long term effects would be. And then I continue to kind of ask myself that question and then put, rather than today, dates going farther and farther out into the future. And I'm pretty afraid if the answer is we can't get back to anything like we would consider normal for 12 to 24 months that, you know, worldwide there's going to be dramatically less economy, you know, economic strength left than if that can happen in, you know, sub one quarter. But that's the that's the scary thing about about this situation involving uh antibodies, right? Like right. Right? Like if you're immune for only, you know, let's just say like let's say 6 months, right? How many people honest honestly, you know, you know, especially in, you know, the United States, like how many people do you think are going to really go get their booster shot every six months? Right. For the rest of their lives. Uh, well, I mean, if that's the only way that you can function normally, I guess I would, although I'd rather not get, you know, two booster shots a year. I did yeah. see if you watch the Netflix special Pandemic, Ooh, uh, so which, good. Is, which is not about this current set of circumstances. And yes, it is very good. I really like the group that's worked uh, flu vaccine. Um, and I wonder if that type of thinking uh, could be applied to distributed bio. Sure. Yes. I wonder if that type of thinking could be um, applied to uh, you know coronaviruses. As a as a matter of fact, Graham, um, this came up in my research at Golden uh, last week, couple weeks ago. Uh, that yes, in fact, Distributed Bio is working on a uh, pilot project for coming up with a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID nineteen. So for those who haven't watched, um, Distributed Bio is a company that has a near universal uh, flu shot. Uh, so you would get one flu shot or maybe one flu series. Um, they are doing, uh, I believe their hope was to start human trials relatively soon in Great Britain. Um, but uh, they had it to a point where they were pretty confident if you would take a series of seven shots, you could be immune to the flu for the rest of your life. As of the, when the documentary left off, they had pretty successfully gotten that down to three but with a goal of being able to get just one shot and it's likely you would never get the flu again for the rest of your life. Be interesting to see if they were the same type of methodology, which they claim could apply to many human viruses, uh, could apply to uh, coronaviruses. Well, you can, uh, oh, no, Graham, I got to sneeze. Uh-oh. Uh. Well, while Jason sneezes, I'll, uh, <laughs> oh, he didn't mute his microphone first. Holy shit. Bless you. <laughs> Pardon my French. Oh, uh, what's in sneeze. the show is in the show. Oh, no. <clears throat> oh, no. Uh, so, I'll, I'll take that as the cue that I should uh, introduce myself. So, yeah, my Graham, name is get uh, out of here. What, what, what do you do? Graham <laughs> Peck, and I am a venture partner with uh, Cultivation Capital. Cultivation Capital is a St. Louis based uh, VC that invests in life sciences, ag tech, uh, <laughs> and software technology. Oh, Bless you Sorry. again, Jason. 
Um, the mute button on this model of microphone is it's not really as easy hard. to press as it should no. be. Uh, there's some free product uh, feedback for the folks over at Blue Yeti. Um, in any case, uh, and so uh, so I am part of Cultivation's uh, technology team and based in our Chicago office when uh, being in the office is a normal part of life, which it obviously isn't today. Uh, in addition to that, I help companies large and small, uh, startup and not, to build their technology teams uh, with a couple of partners, uh, primarily one called Brightgrove uh, that is based in Eastern Europe. <sighs> Graham, I'm never going to survive this. Uh, I'm not going to survive this podcast. <laughs> well, that's not good. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. It's, yeah, it's been a yeah. good run. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> here lies here lies Jason Rowley, a podcaster person. Graham, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about um, some interesting reports from uh, various places that involve the two letters CB in their names. Um, we are going to be talking about the uh, global and other venture capital reports from Crunchbase News, my former employer, uh, and from CB Insights, which is not my former employer. Uh, Graham, do you, do you want to know a very fun fact about CB Insights? Yes, that'd be great. Do you, do, do you know what the CB stands for? I don't. Chubby brain. Really? Yeah, Chubby Brain Insights. I did no not know that. Now you know. Um, Graham, you want to uh, kick us off? What uh, what what were some of the well, major? I, I was going to do. I was going to do one quick bit of uh, of follow up as well uh, as oh, we sure. record this. Uh, you know, one other thing to note is one of our prior episodes was about um, some of the support, in particular, for businesses, although pieces of the same legislation could impact people individually. But one of the main um, things that came out of what's effectively known as the CARES Act um, was uh, a program called the PPP or uh, Payroll Protection. Uh, I don't know what the third P stands for. Plan? Um, program. Program. Payroll Protection Program, uh, which was an incentive program for employers to reduce or eliminate the number of layoffs that they were otherwise going to uh, undertake. Obviously, with 20 plus million people, as Jason noted, recently filing for unemployment. Some big questions remain about uh, how well that went. But uh, that being said, the PPP ran out of money last week. Um, and so the SBA gave guidance to the banks who are loaning on PPP loans to stop taking applications, I think, yeah. for the most part. Although I believe, and I think there was even some movement on this today, uh, as we record, it's April 20th. Uh, but uh, there was some movement today, and I think it's likely that that program will uh, get some new uh, lifeblood, some new funding back. Although I don't know if that's been approved yet, but I believe Congress was looking at reallocating something like $450 billion uh, more. Another? Holy moly. Program. I, I could be wrong on that number. That was just uh, something I heard, not that, anything I followed closely. Yeah, that. So first off, um, I'm I'm in, in certain ways, I'm ha I'm I'm thankful that this program exists. My mom is a small business owner and not small business owner in the sense of what, uh, let's just say some people on the, on, on a different side of the political aisle than me, uh, would still call small businesses, but they're, 
sort of anything, but uh, she's a she has a physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy clinic for kids on Chicago's south uh, southwest side, uh, or rather out in the suburbs, not in the city. You know what I mean? Um, and she ended up making it to round two. I don't know whether she actually gets the money, um, but uh, she, thank God, you know, was working with a, a I guess their accountant or somebody. Um, who who got their application in and it's made it to review. Um, but you know, at the same time, like there are plenty of companies that did receive PPP funds that, uh, you know, at least in my opinion, um, you know, may, may not have needed it or may not have deserved it. Um, in the in the same way that you know, true sort of like small business entrepreneurs uh, may have otherwise deserved it. Yeah, you know, and the SBA uh, set of standards that determines what is and isn't a small business uh, is by industry. And I think that, for example, restaurants or businesses that are commonly multi-location, pretty sure those standards were actually applied in a per-location basis. And if you have a single location of a restaurant that employs more than 500 people, I've got to imagine that's a hell of an operation. In fact, I wouldn't (laughs) guess that any restaurants in a single location employ that many people. Um, But in in any case, um, you know, I, I quickly reviewed the list and I can't guarantee that I am getting the highest number, but there are certainly a lot of subcategories of small business where uh, the limit is raised to as high as at least 1,500, and there may be numbers higher than that. Wow. And that's, of course, in terms of headcount. Although the maximum PPP loan that you could apply for, um, which in most cases, with some exceptions, um, and taking out higher paid employees salaries above $100,000, uh, was, uh, was $10 million. So if you had 1,500 employees, even if they were primarily you know, minimum wage employees, I think it would be difficult not to exceed nearly $10 million in two and a half months worth of payroll, Yeah, which was the formula was, uh, was established for the maximum amount you could apply for in those loans. Anyway. Yeah. I, I wish that there was some more like means testing, not eh, means testing, not exactly the right word or phrase that I was going for, but like um, my opinion, and this is just like, you know, me injecting my own personal politics into this. Um, I, I, I'm personally a little skeptical of like, you know, some of these uh, bigger, uh, chain type stores and restaurants that, you know, may, may be like private equity backed, uh, that received, uh, funds. Um, I also found it really funny that, uh, um, some number of, of hedge funds applied for, uh, this, this small business protection for themselves as hedge funds, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. and received some of that capital. Um, you know, uh, my, my take on the, on the situation is that, uh, if you're in the private equity business, if you're in the, um, if you're in the hedge fund business, you know, you're risk capital and this is a risk event. And, you know, if you end up losing, uh, some or even a significant part of your, of, of your capital base, like, you know, that's the game you're playing. And, and it doesn't necessarily need to be the taxpayer that bails out that sort of a business. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. I mean, uh, a, a little selfishly biased. I do want to see the airlines, you know, be successful, but I'm 
maybe less excited about bailing out, for example, the cruise industry. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know. There's probably no further comments I can make that doesn't get insanely political, no matter how uh, much I try not to make it so. <sighs> one of these days, Graham, one of these days, you and I will have a, a proper duke it out uh, political battle on uh, I'm, fully I'm, vested. I'm ready. We talked about uh, we talked about Donald Trump's potential impeachment when that was topical. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> Anyways, man. So, uh, so the 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 global venture capital industry uh, is uh, not doing great. Uh, it's uh, definitely starting to feel some of the knock on effects of uh, it seems at least some of the knock on effects of uh, of of this uh, global pandemic, um, as well as, uh, you know, the knock on effects from, uh, you know, what's happening in market sort of further downstream, e.g. like the, uh, the IPO market, such as it is, um, and the, um, you know, the, the broader stock market in general, such as it is, uh, you know, there's, uh, there, there's, there appears to have been a little bit of a contraction. Yeah, so so as someone who wrote a report uh, like oh that, that that is one of the two that we're going to talk about today, uh, several mm -hmm. times over for for Crunchbase, um, a dozen times roughly. What uh, what are some of the key takeaways from from the two main reports that we're looking at uh, today in your in your view, Jason? All right. Well, so I'm going to primarily speak on the Crunchbase report just because even though uh, I no longer work for Crunchbase, um, I. I'm very familiar with the methodology behind all these numbers and how they're how it's all calculated. Um, I think that there's a couple of different different things to take away. One, um, Q1 2020 uh, was not was not great um, from a deal or dollar volume perspective. So um, relative to last quarter. Uh, you know, at least according to Crunchbase projections, which attempt to take into account undercounting. Um, so specifically around, uh, you know, things like seed stage deals, they oftentimes take a long time to be publicly disclosed. Um, you know, they're not frequently written about or added to Crunchbase or whatever in in real time. So, um, so Crunchbase, at least according to their projections, uh, Deal volume is down from last quarter by 5%. Uh, it's down 4% relative to the same time last year. Um, we all have to remember that, you know, the end of uh, 2018 was a real banner. Like 2018 was a banner year for the, you know, venture capital industry. That's when you saw so many super giant rounds uh, come through. Um, but, you know, things have seemed to be a little bit quieter. Uh, over the last year, at least in terms of deal volume. Dollar volume is where things really took a big haircut. Relative to last quarter, Crunchbase projects that uh, dollar volume is down 17% uh, or down 8% from Q1 2019. Um, it looks like the biggest haircut uh, was experienced in, at least on a percentage basis and an absolute dollar basis, uh, in early stage funding, which at least according to Crunchbase is uh, deals that are ser labeled Series A or Series B um, and a subset of other deals um, between, 
kind of depends on the deal type, but uh, between like, you know, $5 million and $15 million, plus or minus, depends on the deal type. All the documentation's at the bottom of this report, which was compiled by Janae Tier and Joanna Glasner. Um, other stuff is happening. Uh, let's see what else to do. The United States, companies in the U.S. and Canada have taken uh, back more ground from the rest of the world, both in terms of deal and dollar volume. I found that kind of interesting. I definitely um, thought that was interesting because, you know, I think you typically have called that in the past when we've covered these reports, kind of the balance of power. And yeah. so, if it, so, so it was definitely interesting to see, um, to see North America uh, at its, its strongest in at least five quarters and probably before that um, in both of those uh, as a percentage, of course, yeah. obviously on smaller numbers. What do you, do you think that that means anything or is it just I that do. the rest of the world was getting hit harder by coronavirus um, yeah. earlier and we were just yeah. more isolated until closer to the end of Q1? What, what, what do you think that that means? Sure. So if you think about um, and, and again, this is speaking only from the perspective of of Crunchbase's data set, which for the record, um, even though I no longer work there, I still believe is um, fairly representative uh, of of like the world's you know venture investment ecosystem. Um, you know, like there there's like the 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 biggest markets are the United States and China, um, and you know, for all the sort of woes that that we might be feeling in the in the U.S. economy, um, certainly in in the U.S. you know venture ecosystem right now, um, China has experienced that to a much 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 greater degree. So, um, keeping in mind, you know that there's challenges around capturing information from China. It's it's not a matter of like, you know, super duper secrecy or whatever, but like, um, not everything gets like reported in the media. Sometimes like there's a big language, you know, barrier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, still though, you know, taking all that into account, uh, at least the last numbers that I got to run, um, which I think must be, oh, I don't know, maybe like three, four months old now. So, so probably not really relevant to this quarter. Um, but you know, the Chinese economy is, is, and this was even before, you know, COVID really came to the fore. Um, you know, the Chinese economy is, has really taken a, uh, you know, a turn for the slower. And that, and that has carried over to the, you know, venture capital ecosystem in, in China as well. Um, you know, I, I remember some of the last pieces I, I wrote for Crunchbase News were about how, in in China, you know, you would see these. So one of the my favorite barometers is like these like super giant VC rounds. So like hundred million dollars or more. Um, and you know, it wasn't so long ago that in China you'd see like do, you know a couple dozen of these deals sort of struck per month. And fairly recently, um, you know, last time I got to run the numbers, uh, there was like like three or four of these big deals in China per month. Um, and that has corresponded to a a generalized slowdown in the Chinese economy over the last you know several quarters. But you know the the shutdown that resulted from uh, you know the government response to 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 COVID nineteen um, is 
is very significant. And and the you know numbers are suggesting that that really for the first time in decades, uh, China is in a a a legit recession, um, which is pretty astonishing for for an economy that that when it was growing slowly, you know, a couple like last year, a couple of years ago, growing slowly was seven eight percent growth was reported to be seven to eight. Yeah, right. Which, right. So there's there's you know there's room for some skepticism there, but like like even if you even if you sort of discount it a little bit, you know, and say, okay, fine, if they reported 7% or 8% growth and they say, oh, we're going a little slower, even if the actual number was growing at 3 4 5%, you know, that would still be some of the fastest economic growth for a major developed, you know, developed economy in the world, you know, for, for the past several years. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's really where, where we're seeing the, the balance of power shift, you know? Yes. Like, like Europe was hit. It continues to be hit, um, incredibly hard by, uh, by, by COVID. Um, and, and China, you know, China perhaps especially so, uh, because they did indeed close down, uh, certainly Wuhan, but, you know, a good portion of the of their entire economy was was shut down for for a period of of weeks um at least even places that weren't in Wuhan or uh, in or around Wuhan um and I, I really think that that's what is carrying a lot of the momentum uh for, in favor of of North America is is the fact that at least up until this point and we'll have to see what the numbers look like you know next quarter or a couple of quarters out, you know, sort of depending on how the United States ends up dealing with this. But at least for now, you know, yeah, like the United States is sort of, you know, the U.S. and Canada, um, uh, North America in general is is sort of top top dog again in the venture ecosystem. Um, and it really, it always was, um, or 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 it has been, you know, for the most part for several years. It's just that comparing it against the the entirety of the rest of the world has sometimes not resulted in in quite such a favorable matchup between the US and and the rest of the world. Um but you know like if you if you extrapolate it out a little bit uh you know whether or not Ch- China's numbers about their covid cases and covid deaths are accurate and more and more there's reasons to doubt the veracity of all of the numbers that they, you know, reported. Um, but, you know, there's increasing evidence that things have sort of leveled off and calmed down in even the worst hit parts of China, um, you know, because they took these incredibly serious some might even say draconian measures to bring the virus to a halt and right. and you know in in let's just call it more generally like liberal democracies like you know what you see in Europe and um at least what existed in the United States up until you know a few years ago um those sorts of societies were much slower to 
enact the sort of really drastic measures that were necessary to bring this thing to a halt or at least slow its spread. And and it doesn't seem like at least going forward, you know, if the sort of situation on the ground today in the United States is is to you know, be an indicator of anything, um that that the United States is is probably going to have a much 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 more protracted battle with this than China did. Certainly just by looking at cases, again, assuming that China has you know, reported most of its cases, our case count is substantially above theirs. And while there may be the beginnings of curve flattening uh, nationwide, and obviously there are some areas that are probably still nowhere near uh, hitting their peaks yet. Oh, no, right. Um, That plus all these, you know, folks who are... Don't get me started on on these people who are like protesting against you know these like stay at home orders and stuff like that. Like it's it's that's a mess. Um, yeah, that that's one that we don't need to talk about in our political uh, argument uh, episode because I'm with you on that one. I think those right. people are. I mean, and very few of them in general are wearing masks and they're way too close to one another. And uh, anyway, I oh hope boy. they all hug it out. Well. Yeah, it'll be like a uh, like dar- modern Darwinism hard at work. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so like, but but what's what I found you know sort of interesting and maybe heartening, right? Is is that in general, um, you know, other parts of the venture ecosystem, uh, you know, outside of early stage funding, seem to be relatively speaking okay. So, you know, in terms of seed stage, seed and angel stage deal, you know, uh, deal volume and and dollar volume. Yeah, dollar volume took a big hit. Um, You know, Crunchbase projects that, uh, you know, Q1 2020 dollar volume uh, at seed and angel stage is down 27% from the prior quarter. But at the same time, it's only down, quote unquote, only down 8% from Q1 2019. Uh, similarly, you know, deal volume is, yeah, down 2% projected quarter over quarter, but it's down 5% year over year. So what we might be seeing in this case is, is just a reduction in, you know, these like really, really big seed rounds. Because, you know, up until like fairly recently, you know, there was this phenomenon of of companies raising what used to be a small series A in a seed in a seed round, right? You know, you'd you'd see these headlines of, oh, company XYZ raises, you know, seven million dollars in seed funding. Well, that's that's patently ridiculous to call that a seed round at that point, right? Um so maybe maybe that Yeah, might I think be, our fund would probably evaluate that as a pretty good size, what we would call like a you know, an, an A. Yeah, right. Or, or almost anyone would call an A, but you know, sure. certainly with broad, you know, generally smaller Midwestern rounds, you know, we would call that a pretty large A, in fact. Right. So, so like, like there's a there's a, a non-zero, you know, possibility that that some of the reduction in in dollar volume that we're seeing is simply coming from a reduction in these really outsized seed rounds. Um, no doubt. You know, there's obviously 
projected to be fewer deals in general. That probably has something to do with it too. But, you know, at least the seed stage investors that I follow on Twitter, um, which again is uh, in turn a limited subset of the seed investing market in general, almost everybody is saying that they're open for business at, at seed stage. You know, very few people are are pulling back from writing uh, seed checks entirely. They might be doing more due diligence. They might be taking on, you know, there might be less deal flow in general, but very few people that I know know of rather have totally stopped. Um, so at least at seed stage, things are probably okay. And I think one of the other things, you know, to think about is that people also may be, you know, negotiating differently. So one of the things that, because it's probably so difficult to look at or or near impossible to look at, you know, that this report, and actually I don't think either one of the main reports that we're kind of referring to today talk about, but is at what are the terms here on either a multiple or kind of absolute valuation basis. And I mean, again, that's something that's kind of closely guarded for good reason by all parties. Both the fund that does the investing as well as the company probably don't want that data to be disclosed. But right. I would be shocked if when we when we look forward, um, if there's not a pretty substantial step down in valuations just as one way to for investors to protect themselves moving forward, um, you know, that starts uh, probably not in a nice quarterly box, but certainly will be apparent if you could look at that data in that way in Q2 of this year, but really probably that started late February through mid-March, um, there would probably be, be a dramatic step down in deal valuation um, for the same company, if you could look at data that way. Yeah, but no doubt. Um, you know, uh, but that also has a sort of, you know, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because like on the one hand, um, a little bit of a valuation haircut, you know, relative to the same... I mean, it's hard to do counterfactuals, right? Like, you know, this, you, you, it's not like the st- a startup that's raising this like, this month, you know, April, April 2020, um, was also raised, you know, closed around uh, four months ago, five months ago before COVID really hit. Um, right, of course. But, but you know, the, what I was saying is it's a double-edged sword because what, what founders may lose out on in terms of their own upside investors by proxy gain because they they were able to buy more of a company on a percentage basis because they were investing at a lower valuation assuming of course that they're still writing the same check size so so right. this actually may end up being a little bit of a wash from a you know from a performance standpoint at least on the venture side. Obviously, this is yeah. this is not a favorable situation for founders. Uh, well, m- most right. I mean, there are certainly businesses that I think will benefit from this. Oh, totally. Um, but right, uh, uh, kind of on the broad scale, this is definitely not something that's that's beneficial to founders and early employees at companies. I don't think. Yeah. Anybody? I mean, any any of our you know, friends, both tangential and not so tangential in the medical industry, like they're doing just fine. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, and obviously anything, you know, and we talked about this in our last episode, but anything that, um, you know, kind of is a direct 
um, corollary to or directly helps the work from home and work remote kind of uh, universe. Those companies, you know, broadly are probably doing great right now. You know, the the folks who are probably not doing great are the ones that were, I mean, certainly, you know, it's sector specific. So anybody in the travel industry, I'm looking at you, Airbnb, they are hosed. Just, just putting it really bluntly. Um, but like, I, I think more generally, it's not just, you know, a company like Airbnb it, its own situation is probably merits its own podcast episode at some point, Graham, um, because of their, uh, their hilarious, uh, exploding, um, stock options, uh, that basically require right. them to go public, uh, if their employees are to see any upside whatsoever. And, and I think um, we work had a, a similar, uh, structure in place for some of their folks yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, I, I think that in general, you know, even taking away these like um these like you know 10 billion dollar plus valuation type type companies i i really think that any company that was um on the precipice of going public you know with over the past you know before before uh you know the the end of of 2019 so any company that in december 2019 was was you know, starting to line up investment bankers to underwrite an IPO. Um, I, I think that those companies are are in some serious amount of trouble um, just because, at least at the moment, um, I, I haven't been seeing a lot of S1 filings. You know, I don't, I haven't, not, notwithstanding, you know, the in the, this Crunchbase report, you know, yeah, there was a couple of companies that did go public um, in you know, in, in Q1, but most of them are biotech. Like I haven't seen a single, you know, think of one. I mean, Hey, can you think of a single SaaS company that went public in Q1? No. Can you think of a single, you know, consumer doesn't have to be SaaS. Can you think of any sort of like consumer software company that's gone public in Q1? I'm not saying that there aren't any, but none that I know of. Sure. Right. That's the whole thing. Like, and like, I certainly don't think the market's going to be frothy for those moving forward. I mean, no. and, and that's kind of where I was going to go next with some of my comments or questions. But I mean, you know, acquisition count uh, seems like it's down uh, again, kind of year over year, same quarter, maybe not down huge, but the dollars going into it are, you know, down nearly 50 percent from from last quarter alone. So, well, so what, the deal, the deal count may only be down by twenty five acquisitions, but uh, you know the dollar volume dropping from nearly sixty billion to just over thirty billion, uh, you know, in known acquisitions, um, and especially when two or three of the large ones, I mean, uh, you know, into it buying, uh, you know, buying Credit Karma and Visa buying Plaid, those two account for, you know, over a third of the total right. known, um, you know, known exit dollars alone. Yeah. So yeah. you take out those two high flyers out of 325 and you're left with 323 acquisitions that, you know, bear that didn't break $20 billion in known acquisition value. Now, right. I, I'm guessing what you're about to say is that there's a ton of unknowns in that in that number. Well, so. no, no, no. It's that there's also variability from quarter to quarter because like one $10 billion deal can really futz with the numbers. 
but but yeah, no, your your point is 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 well made. It's that in general, you know, this this exacerbates a longer term trend. At least what Crunchbase data has shown over the three years that I've written about, you know, these numbers. Uh, there was there has historically been a continued downtrend in venture back startup acquisition deal volume, uh, and this current environment is is almost certainly doing no favors for you know for for companies that might be looking for an acquirer at anything approaching an attractive you know exit valuation at this point. I mean, and obviously, you know, uh, we can, you know, leave our crystal balls at home in our speculation for the future. We'll cover this in approximately one quarter ends, but I can only imagine what those numbers are going to be one quarter from now. Oh and, and again, any acquisitions that do happen are probably going to be um, opportunistic and at valuations that are bad for employees and investors would be my guess. It'll be companies that are, have been burning cash, have not turned their burn down low enough uh, and simply run out of money and are going to be sold for pennies on the dollar is my gut instinct. You know, again, that painting with a very broad and forward-looking brush, none of which is a good idea, but I can only imagine what this number is going to be a quarter from now, and I bet it's going to be abysmally lower. Oh, I mean, like, because if you think about it, most of the deals that were reported this quarter were probably baked in toward the end of 2019. You know? Oh, I think I lost you for a second. Oh Sorry. no! Oh no! Let me repeat. Most of <laughs> most of the deals from Q1 2020 were probably baked in in Q4 2019. Oh, of course. So now would be the time that the deals for the next quarter or two would be coming together. So again, even if there's a a uh, relatively simple near cure found tomorrow. I think it's unlikely that the acquisition market would rebound by the end of this quarter. Again, even if this was solved now, I think I think the yeah. hit's already too big. And obviously, I don't think that we that anyone believes that this thing is going to be fixed tomorrow. But even no. if it were, I, I think we would see a sharp decline. Not just the kind of expected decline uh, that's a multi-year trend, but I think we would actually see a sharp decline for at a minimum of one quarter, that, probably long. That, and and speaking of you know making uh, forward-looking statements and painting with a broad brush, that is what I am most. On the one hand, I want to say I'm excited, but on the other hand, like you know, we're talking about you know people's livelihoods. We're talking about you know people who took a big risk and they worked for a startup or they started a startup, you know, and they were perhaps banking part of their personal economic future on uh, something approximating a good exit. Um, you know, those folks are not going to see that. But those that point aside, you know, from a sort of like, not, well, schadenfreude isn't even the right framing. Like, like from a from a sort of like economic nerd perspective like i am anxiously awaiting the numbers that come out in you know related to q2 of 2020 just because yeah all of the stuff like i mean you know california specifically the the san francisco bay area was well ahead of the rest of the united states um in terms of its uh 
timing to the you know t- in response to COVID, um, but also in in the sort of severity of the measures that they took to to really tamp it down. Um, certainly, that's and, and that happened a little bit earlier than the rest of the country. Like I said, that's what I'm kind of curious to know. Is like is like you know Chicago didn't really close down until what like you know late March, really you know, like, late, mid-late March, like, but, like, it, but, but that means that, you know, there was still two and a half months of, like, activity happening, you know, in, at least in the United States, before, you know, the uh, excrement hit the whirling blades, and everything sort of shut down. And so, right, but, I'm, but next quarter we're, we're we're entering next quarter or or this quarter we we entered with uh, you know the poop literally hitting the fan, and uh, you know I think that that's going to continue at least all of this quarter. Hopefully, no more than this one quarter. Uh, but uh, you know, as you commented on kind of scientifically earlier, I'm not optimistic about the beginning of next quarter either. Oh, and, I mean, and, and maybe into the future beyond that. I'm not optimistic, at least until maybe Q4. If I'm being like super real with you right now. Which is not a great, it's not a great feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, Graham, we did not talk at all about the CB Insights report. Um, uh, but suffice it to say that that directionally, you know, the numbers differ, but directionally they found the same. Yeah. You know, things one of the not things so that I go on. One of the things that I thought was interesting, just to, uh, you know, a, a, a moment of uh, kind of personal privilege uh, in, in that we both live in Chicago. Was there anything in the couple of CB Insights uh, slides about Chicago that stuck out to you? I don't know that I found it as anything, you know, hugely remarkable, you know, d- deal volume slightly down, deal yeah. val- you know, deal dollars slightly up. A um, lot, lot of interesting healthcare stuff, in particular Tempest and others that we've covered in the past. I just wondered if, in the couple of slides about Chicago, uh, if there was anything uh, that stuck out to you, since we're both there. No, not. I mean, not not really. Um, you know, my uh, uh, it's important to remember that like Chicago's market is from like a deal from like a dollar volume perspective is really driven by a very small handful of companies. Um, to an extent that's true in every single market, but um, it's especially true in Chicago. Tempest was one of, you know, remains one of the most, you know, well-funded companies in Chicago sort of remains to be seen what, you know, what fruit is yielded from, you know, all those investment dollars over time. Um I don't have any information to suggest that, you know, that, that anything is other is that, that, that the company is doing any worse than any other company at the moment. Um, but like, you know, I didn't really see anything too, too special there. Um, Chicago continues to be a, despite being the third largest city in America, it's, it's, a it pains me to say it's a second tier startup market. Um, at least for yep. now. I think that there's a lot of room to grow. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, some of the same sort of 
cultural pain points that I know, Graham, you and I have certainly talked about privately. I think that we've also touched on, at least glancingly here on, here on Fully Vested. Um, those sorts of more structural issues uh, continue to uh, to avail themselves um, here in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, this, this current situation is, is unlikely to do any favors for, for a lot of Chicago startups. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, Chicago does have a distinct advantage, at least knock on wood, uh, as of today, uh, April 20th, uh, 2020, which is that, um, even though the city remains under, something approximating a lockdown, we've not seen the same level of, um, I mean, being blunt here, you know, death and destruction as as New York City. Um, And simultaneously, like, we have not um, experienced the same level of, of, uh, you know, very severe lockdown that uh, the San Francisco Bay Area saw. So... You know, there might be some room for optimism to suggest that, uh, you know, maybe Chicago makes it out of this, relatively speaking, um, a little bit better than, uh, say, it's, you know, at least its population peers in, you know, New York, uh, Los Angeles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but still, you know, the, the same issues that have somewhat hamstrung uh, Chicago and, and perhaps more broadly, you know, parts of the Midwest, um, continue, continue to exist. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's my sincere hope that, uh, that, that, you know, as a, as a startup market, um, and as a city in general that, uh, you know, we're able to, uh, to, to grow past this, uh, and, and to be, you know, to become, to, to leave this a little bit better, um, than, than we entered it, at least in the long run. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll continue to keep my fingers crossed for, for the world as a whole, but uh, our our local home team, they're in uh, they're they're in Chicago. Yep, yep. I mean, there's, I mean, Cameo's doing well. Oh, are they? I don't know. All right, cut. <laughs> <laughs>